This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Achilles tendonitis from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Achilles tendonitis is a family of conditions that includes insertional Achilles tendonitis, retrocalconeal bursitis and Haglund's deformity, and Achilles tendonitis. So again, Achilles tendonitis is a family of conditions that include insertional Achilles tendonitis, retrocalconeal bursitis and Haglund's deformity, and Achilles tendonitis. Let's talk about each of these conditions in a bit more detail, starting with insertional Achilles tendonitis. Insertional Achilles tendonitis is pain and tendon thickening at the insertion of the Achilles tendon. As far as the epidemiology, it occurs in middle-aged and elderly patients with a tight heel cord. As far as the mechanism, repetitive trauma leads to inflammation followed by cartilaginous then bony metaplasia. As far as the presentation, Symptoms of insertional Achilles tendonitis include posterior heel pain, swelling, burning, and stiffness. Patients may also have shoe wear pain due to direct pressure, as well as progressive bony enlargement of the calcaneus at the insertion site. So again, symptoms on presentation of insertional Achilles tendonitis may include posterior heel pain, swelling, burning, and stiffness. Patients may have shoe wear pain due to direct pressure as well as progressive bony enlargement of the calcaneus at the insertion site. On physical exam, inspection may reveal midline tenderness at the insertion site of the Achilles tendon. As far as imaging, lateral foot radiographs may show a bone spur and intratendinous calcification. An MRI and ultrasound can demonstrate the amount of degeneration. The histology of insertional Achilles tendonitis will show disorganized collagen with mucoid degeneration, although there will be few inflammatory cells. Again, the histology of insertional Achilles tendonitis will show disorganized collagen with mucoid degeneration, although there will be a few inflammatory cells. Treatment of insertional Achilles tendonitis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity modification, shoe wear modification, and therapy. This is indicated as the first line of treatment. As far as specific techniques for non-operative management, physical therapy should involve eccentric training, as well as gastrocnemia soleus stretching. As far as shoe wear, heel sleeves and pads are the mainstay of non-operative treatment. Patients may also benefit from a small heel lift or a locked ankle AFO for six to nine months if other non-operative modalities fail. As far as injections, make sure to avoid steroid injections due to the risk of Achilles tendon rupture. Again, avoid steroid injections due to the risk of Achilles tendon rupture. Operative options for insertional Achilles tendonitis include retrocalconeal bursa excision, debridement of diseased tendon, and calconeal bony prominence resection. Another operative option includes tendon augmentation or transfer, specifically transfer of the FDL, FHL, or peroneus brevis, versus suture anchor repair. Indications for retrocalconeal bursa excision, debridement of the diseased tendon, and calconeal bony prominence resection is failure of non-operative management and less than 50% of the Achilles needs to be removed. The technique for this option involves a midline, lateral, or medial J-shaped incision. The indications for a tendon augmentation or transfer versus a suture anchor repair is when greater than 50% of the Achilles tendon insertion must be removed during thorough debridement. It's also indicated for heavier patients with more severe disease. Keep in mind that FHL transfer has been associated with increased ankle plantar flexion. Moving on to retrocalconeal bursitis and Haglund's deformity, 
Retrocalcaneal bursitis is defined as inflammation of the bursa between the anterior aspect of the Achilles and the posterior aspect of the calcaneus. A Haglund's deformity is an enlargement of the superior tuberosity of the calcaneus. So again, retrocalcaneal bursitis is inflammation of the bursa between the anterior aspect of the Achilles and posterior aspect of the calcaneus. A Haglund's deformity is an enlargement of the superior tuberosity of the calcaneus. As far as the epidemiology of retrocalcaneal bursitis and Haglund's deformity, this is more common in young patients. On physical exam, patients may have pain localized to anterior and 2 to 3 centimeters proximal to the Achilles tendon insertion. Again, on physical exam, in the setting of a retrocalcaneal bursitis and Haglund's deformity, patients may have pain localized to anterior and 2 to 3 centimeters proximal to the Achilles tendon insertion. Other findings on physical exam may include fullness and tenderness medial and lateral to the tendon, pain with dorsiflexion, as well as a bony prominence at the Achilles insertion. As far as imaging, lateral radiographs of the foot demonstrates a Haglund's deformity. Keep in mind that an MRI is rarely needed. As far as treatment, non-operative management includes activity modification, shoe wear modification, therapy, and NSAIDs. This is indicated as the first line of treatment. Specific non-operative techniques include icing during therapy, external padding of the Achilles tendon with respect to shoe wear, and as far as injections, again, make sure to avoid steroid injections due to the risk of Achilles tendon rupture. Operative options for retrocalcaneal bursitis and Haglund's deformity includes retrocalcaneal bursa excision and resection of the Haglund's deformity. This is indicated when disease is refractory to non-operative management and the surgical technique involves midline, lateral, or medial J-shaped incisions. Finally, let's talk about Achilles tendinopathy. The mechanism of Achilles tendinopathy includes overuse, imbalance of the dorsiflexors and plantar flexors, poor tendon blood supply, genetic predisposition, fluoroquinolone antibiotics, and or inflammatory arthropathy. The pathophysiology of Achilles tendinopathy is theorized to be due to abnormal vascularity 2 to 6 centimeters proximal to the Achilles tendon insertion in response to repetitive microscopic tearing of the tendon. The classification of Achilles tendinopathy involves Achilles tendinosis and Achilles peritendinitis. As far as the classification of Achilles tendinopathy, the ones to know include Achilles tendinosis, Achilles peritendinitis, and inflammation of the peritoneum. Achilles tendinosis involves tendon thickening and is thought to be caused by anaerobic degeneration in a portion of the tendon with poor blood supply. Achilles peritendinitis involves inflammation of the tendon sheath. As far as the presentation of Achilles tendinopathy, patients may have symptoms of pain, swelling, warmth, and worse symptoms with activity. Patients may also have difficulty running. On physical exam, you may find tendon thickening and tenderness 2 to 6 centimeters proximal to the Achilles tendon insertion and pain throughout the entire range of motion. As far as imaging, on MRI, disorganized tissue will show up as intrasubstance intermediate signal intensity. MRI will also reveal a thickened tendon, and chronic rupture will show a hypoechoic region between tendon ends. Treatment of Achilles tendinopathy can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves activity modification, shoe wear modification, therapy, and NSAIDs, as well as glyceryl trinitrate patches, prolotherapy, and aprotonin injections. 
Activity modification, shoe wear modification, therapy, and NSAIDs is the first line of treatment. As far as non-operative techniques, physical therapy should be done with eccentric training, and other modalities that may be used during therapy include iontophoresis, phonophoresis, and ultrasound. With respect to shoe wear, things like heel lifts may help, as well as casts or removable boots if there is severe disease. As far as outcomes, non-operative management is 65-90% to successful. Glycerol trinitrate patches, prolotherapy, and aprotonin injections have evolving indications due to a lack of evidence at this time. Operative options for Achilles tendinopathy include percutaneous tenotomies, open excision of the degenerative tendon with tubularization, and tendon transfer, specifically transfer of the FHL, FDL, or peroneus brevis. Indications for percutaneous tenotomies include mild to moderate disease. The surgical technique involves a longitudinal tenotomy made in the degenerative area and then stripping the anterior Achilles tendon with a large suture to free any adhesions. Open excision of the degenerative tendon with tubularization is indicated for moderate to severe disease. As far as outcomes, this option is 70% to 100% successful. Indications for a tendon transfer include degeneration of greater than 50% of the Achilles tendon, greater than 55 years of age, MRI evidence of diffuse tendon thickening without a focal area of disease, or subacute rupture in the setting of prior Achilles tendinopathy. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 50-year-old obese patient presents complaining of continued right heel pain despite one year of non-operative treatment. Clinical evaluation demonstrates a Haglund's deformity. A STIR MRI sequence shows thickening of the Achilles tendon, Haglund's deformity, and inflammatory changes. When discussing surgical options, you inform her that transfer of the FHL tendon at the ankle compared to repair without tendon transfer will likely result in which of the following? And the choices are 1. Improved American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society, or AOFAS, ankle-slash-hindfoot score. 2. Improved 36-item short-form survey, or SF36 score. 3. Decreased gray toe plantar flexion strength. 4. Increased ankle plantar flexion strength. And 5. No difference in outcomes. The correct answer to this question is 4. Increased ankle plantar flexion strength. So flexor halysis longus or FHL transfer in overweight patients has been associated with increased ankle plantar flexion strength. To quickly review, Achilles tendinosis refers to a degenerative process of the tendon without evidence of inflammatory changes on histology or clinically. Non-operative treatment, which is first line, may involve the following. Activity modification, orthotics, heel lifts, analgesics, corticosteroid injections, eccentric training, extracorporeal shockwave therapy, sclerosing agents, electrocoagulation, and laser therapy. There exists no evidence to date supporting the use of platelet-rich plasma in treating this condition. Operative treatment may involve the following. Percutaneous longitudinal tenotomy, minimally invasive tendon stripping, endoscopic tendon debridement, and open tendon debridement as well as repair with or without augmentation. Classically, if more than 50% of the disease tendon is removed, FHL augmentation is performed. Moving on to the next question. A 58-year-old active man with worsening heel pain in the setting of chronic ankle pain for the last two years after missing a step off a curb 
presents to your office. A T2 sagittal MRI of the Achilles tendon shows Achilles tendon rupture 3.5 centimeters proximal to the calcaneal attachment with the proximal and distal segments of the tendon severely thickened, suggesting underlying chronic Achilles tendinosis. He elects to undergo surgical intervention. Intraoperatively, a 4 centimeter gap is observed. Which of the following would lead to the best functional outcome? And the choices are 1. Open primary repair with suture anchors. 2. Debridement and augmentation with a tendon that inserts on the plantar aspect of the great toe metatarsal head. 3. Debridement and augmentation with a tendon that inserts on the plantar aspect of the metatarsal heads of the lesser toes. 4. Debridement and augmentation with a tendon that inserts on the plantar aspect of the great toe distal phalanx. And 5. Debridement and augmentation with a tendon that inserts on the dorsal aspect of the distal phalanges of the lesser toes. The correct answer to this question is for debridement and augmentation with a tendon that inserts on the plantar aspect of the great toe distal phalanx. So the patient in the question stem is presenting with a subacute Achilles tendon rupture in the setting of chronic Achilles tendinosis. Achilles debridement and augmentation with local tendons, including the flexor hallucis longus or FHL tendon, is a viable option shown to improve functional outcomes. The FHL tendon inserts on the plantar aspect of the great toe distal phalanx. To quickly review, the first step in treating chronic Achilles tendinosis consists of conservative measures such as oral analgesic medication and eccentric strengthening exercises of the calf muscles. Operative treatment may be indicated in cases of chronic symptoms lasting greater than six months without improvement or in cases of subacute ruptures. Various surgical techniques have been described for chronic Achilles tendinosis with open debridement and primary repair for small tears, while reconstructive options are reserved for larger gaps. In cases with larger gaps, augmentation procedures are preferred, including VY myotendinous flaps, free tendon grafts, synthetic grafts, or transfer from local tendons, including peroneus brevis, flexor digitorum longus, and flexor hallucis longus. Moving on to the next question. A 35-year-old patient has had untreated Achilles tendon pain for four months. Physical examination reveals an intact Achilles tendon with normal plantar flexion power. MR imaging of the tendon reports areas with increased signal intensity. Color and power Doppler ultrasound shows areas with increased blood flow in the tendon. What would be the next step in management of this patient? And the choices are 1. Corticosteroid injection and close follow-up. 2. CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis. 3. Eccentric closed chain exercises. 4. Plasma-rich protein, injection with delayed arthroscopic tendon debridement. And 5. Achilles tendon resection, FHL tendon transfer, and gastrocnemia soleus fascia turndown graft. The correct answer to this question is 3. Eccentric closed chain exercises. So this patient's presentation is consistent with Achilles tendinopathy. The next step in management should be focused physiotherapy with eccentric closed chain exercises. Conservative treatment of Achilles tendinopathy is recommended as the initial strategy by most orthopedic surgeons. Generally, this consists of the combination of rest, whether complete or modified activity, medication, specifically NSAIDs, orthotic treatment, such as heel lifts, change of shoes, and or corrections of malalignments, as well as stretching and strength training specifically eccentric closed-chain exercises. If conservative treatment fails, surgical treatment may be instituted. 
Moving on to the next question. A 58-year-old female patient presents with long-standing posterior heel pain and a tender mass over the posterior heel. She has attempted treatment with anti-inflammatory medications, physical therapy, and shoe modifications without relief. A lateral radiograph of her calcaneus shows findings consistent with insertional Achilles tendonitis and resulting calcification of the tendon insertion. She proceeds with surgical intervention, which requires open debridement of 55% of the Achilles tendon centrally. The next most appropriate surgical steps involve suture anchor repair of the Achilles insertion and which of the following. And the choices are 1. Primary closure of the wound. 2. Wound vac placement and staged wound closure. 3. Side-to-side repair of the Achilles tendon and primary closure. 4. Augmentation with flexor halysis longus transfer followed by primary closure. And 5. Augmentation with posterior tibialis tendon transfer followed by primary closure. The correct answer to this question is for augmentation with flexor halysis longus transfer followed by primary closure. So surgical treatment of insertional Achilles tendonitis involves debridement of the degenerative portion of the tendon. If this amounts to more than 50% of the tendon, then transfer of the flexor halysis longus or FHL may be used for augmentation. To quickly review, insertional Achilles tendonitis presents as posterior heel pain with potential progression to retrocalcaneal bursitis and progressive bony enlargement of the Achilles tendon's insertion on the calcaneus, otherwise known as a Haglund's deformity. Initial treatment is non-operative, including physical therapy for a tight heel cord, shoe modifications, and anti-inflammatory medications. If this fails, surgical debridement of the Achilles tendon and exostectomy are performed. If this debridement requires removal of more than 50% of the Achilles tendon, then transfer of another tendon, whether the FHL, FDL, or peroneus brevis, is done for augmentation. And moving on to the final question, an 18-year-old high school basketball player is being treated for Achilles tendonitis. What type of strengthening exercise has been shown to be helpful in the later phases of rehabilitation? And the choices are 1. Eccentric, 2. Isokinetic, 3. Concentric, 4. Isometric, and 5. Isotonic. The correct answer to this question is 1. Eccentric. So eccentric strengthening for tendinopathies has proved most helpful in the later stages of rehabilitation. Although the exact mechanism of the effect on eccentric exercises is not known, the most widely accepted theory is that the absence of concentric stretching disrupts the normal lengthening slash shortening cycle, which may cause shearing in the tendon and injury to the collagen. Isokinetic exercise maintains a constant angular velocity of joint motion. Isotonic exercise maintains a constant force of contraction, while isometric contraction develops force without changing the length of the musculotendinous unit. All three types of these exercises have not been shown to benefit Achilles tendonitis as much as eccentric exercise. That's all for this review about Achilles tendonitis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. 
Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.